You come with the king, you best not miss. You're now locked in the zone, zone 32. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Zone 32 podcast. We got a full house in store tonight. My name is Jake. His name is Drew. His name is Will. Say what's up to the people. You deathly silence tells them they don't care about you. So, fuck off. I'm not, I'm not falling for your tricks. I fell for it. I had to, I had to give it to him. We actually There's did. No well, Drew, is a, Drew is a good soul. and He cares about his people. So, yeah. you know what? I respect that. Anyway, we got some things to get into. The Ravens came up with a win Sunday. An ugly win. A costly win. But it was a win. They played the Broncos and they won the game 10 to 9 with Tyler Huntley finishing the game, completing 27 to 32 passes for 187 yards, an interception, and a rushing touchdown. Hey, hey, uh, did somebody on this panel predict that the the Broncos would not score a touchdown and they would only score three field goals? You actually got their yeah. you got their exact score. A thousand percent correct. My score doesn't count because Lamar got knocked out. Yeah. So mine is yeah. is null and void. I I win. I uh, I had the 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 best prediction. I yeah, because your score wound up being half right. It wound up being right. half right. Your uniform prediction mm-hmm. wasn't, but the score was. So hey, you know what? Fuck it. We were all sort of right on the uniform, except for Tom, because we all agreed it was going to be a purple and black combination. Yeah. So yeah, and I got it. I got it right. But yeah, you yes, got he it did. right. He was the first to say, and I agreed. But anyway, so. Lamar Jackson, at the end of the first quarter, sustained a knee injury. And as of this morning, Adam Schefter has reported that he suffered a PCL sprain, which, to be fair, was first theorized by at pro football doc David Chow, who said a PCL sprain usually results in a few-week kind of injury. The timeline sounds like earliest bet he might be back would be Atlanta or, most likely, New Year's Day against the Steelers. But that's neither here nor there. Drew, I'm going to start with you. Give me your thoughts on this game. And for the love of God, don't hold back on the greatest slash worst slash funniest trick play I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that was not funny. There was there was nothing humorous about that. So to start off with positives, uh, defense did its job. The Broncos offense is historically bad, and they held a historically bad offense to nine points. Um, you know, it's it's not really beneficial to sit here and break down who had good games on the defense because everybody played well, but the Broncos offense also sucks. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, Offensively losing Lamar kind of kills your whole team. So I definitely get to an extent why the offense struggled after one out and the Broncos defense isn't bad, but that offensive showing was fucking atrocious. Um, Tyler Huntley is just not that good. I know that fans love to theorize that. Oh, do we let Lamar walk pay Tyler Huntley next to nothing? And, you know, stack weapons around him. Uh, that would be a horrible idea because he's just, he's not fucking good. And, like, I'm, I'm tired of people pushing this narrative that he's even somewhat comparable to Lamar Jackson. There was a noticeable step back in the offense when he came into the game. And he is just, he's a one-read quarterback. His first read's not there, and he just figure eights in the pocket, and every once in a while he completes the pass. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of tired of that whole narrative around him. Um, the rest of my rant here is going to be about Greg Roman. I don't understand why he wasn't fired after that fucking double pass by James Prochet. That play design in general was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. You have Gus Edwards, who's a north-south runner, running this you know option sweep, and then he tosses the ball to James Prochet, who can't pass, who can't catch. So who the fuck thinks he can pass? He tosses him the ball, and so I was sitting behind that play, and I saw him cock back to throw it, 
most confident fucking throw I've ever seen in my entire life into quadruple, quadruple coverage to Kenyon Drake, which why is Kenyon Drake? Borderline quintuple. Borderline quintuple. But like I'm watching that play from behind. I'm like, I got to have a bad angle here. Like there's no way he's that fucking covered. I mean, the Broncos guy picked that off and like didn't even celebrate because it was such a fucking like terrible pass, like right to him. I just, I don't understand who decided that that was a, you know, like a valid play call and why he was, you know, continued to call a game after that. Why is, is it in the playbook to me. begin with? Like, it, I mean, I, I understand that you're going to have weird trick plays in a playbook just Not because. Not for like, James Prochet to throw the ball. Yeah. Well, that's my, that's my other thing is like, there are other guys on the team that are probably more capable of running that play than those two. Why is Kenyon Drake the one running that route? Why is it not Duvernay coming out of the backfield? Again, we've said this a million times. Like, why is, you know, just, just why? Like, that's the only thing that I can say about that play. It's just, just fucking why did it occur? And why was Greg Roman still employed after that? Yeah, agreed. So um, I'm, I'm going to say Drew and I can confirm that the real first person who diagnosed the PCL sprain was our, our personal doctor, Dr. Siv. Um, he, he's not, he's not widely known, but we have an inside source. So our doctor diagnosed that PCL sprain, like within a minute of, uh, of him going down, said it was probably going to be a two to three week injury and he would need a brace or a sleeve for the remainder of the season, or at least for a couple weeks until, until it fully heals. So he was, he was dead on with that. Maybe, maybe we see him back for the Browns game. Uh, I'm not overly optimistic about that. But, you know, you know, we can always hope Um, what I will say about Tyler Huntley is he is not someone anybody should be talking about as a replacement for Lamar Jackson. Like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll trade Lamar or we'll we'll do the the uh, the non-exclusive franchise tag. Let someone else sign him, get two first round picks back, whatever, whatever you want to try and like do mental gymnastics to, to say we'll roll with Tyler Huntley. No, he's he is. I consider him to be a serviceable backup for our system where he came in and he ran. It wasn't the same offense. The offense obviously looks different when he runs it than when Lamar does. And it's very weird because it's like they spread it out a little bit more and they throw the ball more. Um, And, but he relies so heavily on these quick, like Drew said, one read plays where he's hitting his first read there. It's a quick, easy throw. It's, I mean, and not just quick, it's short. So, you know, it's actually the kind of thing I wish they would do with Lamar at times when he's struggling passing the ball, finding a rhythm, because we saw Huntley get into a rhythm. He was completing passes with with no issue. He had he had one bad pick and a couple bad throws. But um, I don't once we get into Huntley as the starter, that's a whole different animal. He has beat two teams so far in his NFL career. They were both terrible three-win football teams. Right. Like, they both had completely inept offenses, and he barely did enough to beat them. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, cool. Like, he completes a lot of passes, but they, they you know, mean nothing. Like, they don't lead to points usually. So. No, right. And the reason he's completing so many passes is because, like I said, the whole idea is he's not a guy you, who you can rely on to, like, win you the game. Now, to yeah. his credit, he did win us that game. That that drive he had was was well executed. He he got the ball in the end zone himself on a day when we couldn't get in until the very end. So give him some give him some credit. He won us the game. But let's be realistic. This is not a guy who is going to go out there start games for us and win. We saw it last year. Um, you know he ha- he had us in games, um, but th- that's the best you can hope for with this guy. And luckily we're in a stretch 
where we're playing teams that aren't very good. Now, the next two weeks are against divisional opponents. So whether they're good or not, those are those are hard, hard fought games anyway. So I'm not inspired right now where we were, we should we should have run the gauntlet here um, with Lamar. Now it's like the next two weeks, maybe three are, uh, you know, anyone's guess what's going to happen. So we have this opportunity to to stack all these wins and run away with the division. And now that's that's in danger. And the reason it's in danger is because of Greg Roman. Yeah. Also, also, why is Josh Oliver blocking on that play that Lamar got hurt on? Don't know. But again, that's a play call. So that's a that's a play call. Thing. Josh and Josh Oliver has been better as a blocker this year. He's done well. But like we saw Lamar Jackson get sacked three times very early. The the protection wasn't good. And that's not because the guys can't block. We've seen them block all year, especially that they've been the offensive line has been very good this year. So the there's a key piece nursing an ankle injury right now that we really miss. That changes things. Obviously, when when Ronnie's not in there, the offensive line is is a different unit. But even when he hasn't been in there, we haven't had games where the offensive line has necessarily lost us the game. Um, And when you're talking about our our starting quarterback, who if we don't have him, this team, never mind being a Super Bowl contender, we're we're one of the worst teams in football without Lamar Jackson, as far as I'm concerned, because we're a the five defense, and six wing team, yeah, at best. So when when we have our offensive coordinator so committed to his his game script that our quarterback is is just being it was it, it was, it was uh, Blitzkrieg. It was it was uh, as as the the German Tiger would say, it was Blitzkrieg. So uh, you know he he was under attack from every angle. Uh, you know, it was the invasion of Poland all over again for Lamar. He was just getting swarmed. And that when you see that, you have to make a pivot. You have to figure out something in game needs to change, whether, you know, it was early on. So I'm assuming it was it was just Roman doing what he always does and over committing to game script and saying, oh, you know, my next play calls me the one that that, you know, gets us out of this this situation. Yeah. And and it was like a masterclass of inept play calling that game from start to finish. The only reason we won the game, like I said, is Tyler Huntley on the last drive just did a couple things that were, I think he like played above his head. Like he, he, he made a couple good plays. Well, I mean, there was a couple QB sneaks there, like, you know, fourth down conversions that, you know, for whatever reason, the Broncos just didn't key in on Tyler Huntley. Like, I, I feel like they lost more than we won. They did. Right. And like, and, and yeah. And, and we saw those same play calls that we we've been questioning too with Lamar. On, like you're talking about QB sneaks, that fourth down where it was the same bullshit we saw last week with Lamar, where it was like Huntley ran parallel to the line. He yep, ran out to the left, to the around, left. Yeah, yeah, around around the left tackle, and he was just like waiting for a hole. Like that that can't be your fucking fourth down call because that's just pure luck if you get it. it I mean, it, it was de- the play was dead like three times. I don't know how he ended up getting the first down. That's the fourth down play you call when it's like. I don't know, like two minutes left in the half and you're, you know, on the 49 yard line and you don't want to kick a field goal. And so you're hoping to break a big run or something like that, where you're kind of in a spot where if you turn it over right there, it's not going to kill your team. Right. Like, and, and that's what he's calling with the game on the line. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and we talk about situational play calling this play that, that we've already talked about, but we're going to talk about it more to call a double reverse wide receiver pass to the running back. In that situation, that that drive specifically, they looked good. The offense actually yeah. looked good. They were moving the ball well. 
just doing their thing. And we had Tyler Huntley in rhythm, which is the entire point of the play calling, like I've already said, with the with the quick throws. And they just decide, you know what? No. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a little razzle dazzle. We're gonna we're gonna do a little magic trick. And uh Jake and I were talking before we started recording. The entire play design there is the it's like over reliance on misdirection maybe maybe you get an undisciplined defense to bite on that and the only reason Kenyon drake is the intended receiver is because you've got these all these moving pieces behind the line of scrimmage and you're assuming they're going to look at it like it's a run so you're going to you're hoping the secondary collapses towards the line of scrimmage and then you have a running back running up the sideline with a linebacker trailing if the guy who's supposed to who has the option to throw the ball there and it's got to be an option there's no way it's just like you have to throw the ball. That can't be the play call. So I wouldn't shock me if it was. It wouldn't shock me either, but but throw it away. It, it wouldn't shock me because of who's the guy calling the play, but just based on the way the play is designed, it's got to be like, dude, if it's not there, just run. You are, you know, you're you're a wide receiver, so you know how to run with the ball, presumably. We don't know. We've never seen him do it. But for him to look down the field, see the running back with he had two defenders underneath and two defenders over the top. There was literally nowhere, not the the greatest passer in the history of the NFL, whoever that might be, could not possibly put that ball where it needed to be without it getting intercepted. No shot. And then there's another defender who was rotating over by the end of the play. So like, even if it got tipped up in the air, there's five defenders there around one running back. And, you know, Kenyon Drake is a decent pass-catching running back, but he's not... But he's a running back. Right. He's not going up making a catch over five fucking defenders. So just the... the and beyond all that, beyond the execution of the play, the fact that that play was called, when it was called, from where it was called, we were in scoring position. We were... We were, we're in field goal range. 35-yard line, right. And this is a game where points were coming at a premium. And we were, we have the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. We're giving away almost guaranteed points by running that play. Like people want to talk about, oh, it's basically like a punt. No, it's not because it was it was fucking second down, wasn't it? Yeah, it was second down. And it was just, again, you're in field goal range. There is no reason to call that play. None. In that situation. Just none at all. None. You maybe call that play on second down from like your own 45 yard line with a little more space. Um, but you don't do it in that situation. You don't do it in that game with that defense that you're playing against Denver's defense is their strength. That's a, it's a disciplined defense. It's a defense that has kept them in games. Like we talked about last week and the week before, uh, Denver is a team where if they w- could score 17 or 18 points a game, they'd probably be like nine or 10 win team right now. It, it, yeah. Despite the fact their offense sucks. Now last week, that still wouldn't have won them a the game. So, uh, you know, just, taking risks like that in a game where you don't need to do much to win. You don't need to score many points to win. And you're just, you're completely taking the ball out of your offense's hand by calling a stupid ass play like that. I honestly think that Harbaugh should have been on the, the comms and said, Greg, uh, head home. Yeah. Cause I mean, that should have been it. That's a play call you make when you're down two touchdowns and your offense is sputtering and you try to get the crowd back into the game. Or you're up two touchdowns or three touchdowns and, and you're trying to rub it in, you know, like something crazy. But like you don't you don't call that play there. You don't do that. No. And especially the way the 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 the, the people like you said, you pointed out, like 
Gus Edwards being involved in that play, James Prochet throwing it, and Kenyon Drake being the receiver and running the play with the backup quarterback in. Do you see how ugly, like even how poorly executed it was? It was like everybody didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing. That's one of the reasons I think that the secondary never bit on the the misdirection is because they were like, this is so obvious what's happening. Like it was almost it was very obvious to me very early on in the play before it, it they even really started the 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 double reverse bullshit. It was just like they're running a, a very weird trick play right now. Uh, and it's and it looks like they're running it in a walkthrough or something. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a run to Gus. And I thought the whole point of motioning Proche like that was to pull the, you know, corner over so that Gus has room to, you know, hit the edge and maybe right. turn a corner. And even that would be stupid because that's not Gus's game, but at least you're giving a running back a running play there. And so right. that, you know, I can rationalize that. I cannot rationalize James Proche throwing the ball. I mean, no. he can't catch. He all he does is draw penalties and not catch the ball. And so you're letting him throw it. Like it's just I don't I think I don't that the it. uh the interception yardage should be taken off of his receiving yards. Yeah, that's fine. So now he's got 30 for the year and 13 games or 12 games. Yeah. Yeah. And then take the penalty, the penalty yards off to 54. So yeah, now he's at like negative 20 yards. Good job. Yeah, I mean, it's not his fault that that play was called, but he, what he did there, he shouldn't be on the field again. Okay. So Greg Roman shot us in the foot. And instead of, you know, calling nine one one, James Prochet shot himself in the other foot. So like, you know, <laughs> fuck him too. Yeah, right. He should be uh, cut or demoted or whatever, whatever repercussions there should be. The fact that he looked down the field and it's no wonder when like people say he doesn't get he doesn't get opportunities. No fucking wonder. He can't. He, no he looked down the field and thought that that was a, that, that was an opportunity for him to like do something. Oh, yeah, I'm going to throw this. OK, then now we know when we see those those still shots and it's uh, James Prochet and someone else standing like right next to each other. I think now we know why that that's happening. It might not be Greg Roman's fault. It might be James Prochet does not understand how a fucking play works. Do you know if he's blind or not? Like maybe he's got a Jameis Winston thing going on where he needs LASIK surgery. Maybe, maybe all 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 pro all Prochet can come out if he goes and gets LASIK. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he needs something like a clue would be good, or you know, a fresh start. See if the fact that he stood there and. He set his feet. He stepped into that throw so so confidently. Yeah, four motherfuckers, and four motherfuckers standing around the guy. If you only showed James Prochet catching that and throwing it, and just showed somebody the clip of that, you'd, you'd think it was an easy touchdown. Like with the way that like he that, just you would think there was no, no defender like within the same zip code. Yeah, and instead, there's literally four with a with a fifth with a fifth rolling in right at the end. <laughs> Literally half their defense was covering Kenyon Drake at that point. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's just I, I don't even I don't think we could say enough negative things about that play. That was literally probably the worst thing I've ever seen. But, uh, honestly, I think it was the worst play I've ever seen run by the Ravens in my life. I can't remember a single play that was that was worse. No, I I'm not sure that there is. I'm not sure I can think of what, the butt fumble. Yeah, the only way it could have been worse is if they were wearing those fucking yellow pants. The butt fumble was a terrible play, and that fucking fake punt that Indianapolis called. Right, but goes thank God over. neither that one of those be, were on us. But but I'm saying that this might be like number three worst play called of all time. I'm not even. I think the context of it, it's worse. Like if if you're a if you're a fan who doesn't really understand the James Prochet Greg Roman problem we have here in Baltimore, then you probably just look at it and be like, well, yeah, that, that play wasn't good, but you know, no big deal. But for us, 
who we have to live with these people 24 hours a day. There was a Broncos fan sitting behind me who I'm not kidding. The second Prochet let throat go of that ball, he laughed for 30, 40 seconds straight, like just uncontrollable laughing because he was just like, that is the worst thing I've ever seen. That that would have been me if I was him. Yeah. And, and guess what? No one, I hope, said a word to him because he was fully within his rights to laugh. No, I was just kind of like, yeah, you got this one, though. Like, yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah. not really much yeah. I can say. To you hey, man, laugh as much as you need to laugh. Get it all out. Because I was like, yeah, I mean, honestly, like that, that was, that was his, but he had it. Like, there's nothing I could say to defend that. There, there I was, was at, no yeah, I was out at the bar and uh, it was, it, it was a strong uh, commander's presence there. And people did not know what to make of me during that sequence of events. Cause I was you gonna fucking shoot the place up or something. <laughs> they, they thought that something was going down. I was, mm-hmm. I, my, my first reaction was just bewilderment, but then the the rage that came out of me and again like i said people don't know the struggle of having james prochet on their team they don't know the struggle of having greg roman as their offensive coordinator and it was like a perfect storm of those two guys coming together to create the most embarrassing moment possible for ravens fans and you 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 said it right so we've had a couple very embarrassing losses this year very yeah miami Obviously, uh, getting outscored twenty-eight to three in the fourth quarter. Now Miami's yeah. a good team, at least. Um, giving it back to Buffalo when we could have just run away with that game. The Giants game very frustrating. Um, and then Jags, the Jaguars. Yeah, that one obviously very tough. Uh, but this was one of the more embarrassing games to be a Ravens fan, and we fucking won. They, I saw a stat. I think NFL teams were 0-206 when they had scored 10 points or less, turned the ball over twice, and not forced any turnovers before Sunday. So now it's 1-206. We had no business winning that game. We are breaking all those stats this year. So like all those like trends, we it's like we're the only team. Um, so I think this was before this game. So this was going into this game. We were... Every other team that uh, started their first eleven games with a two-score lead was eleven and zero, and we were seven and four. Yeah, it's it's not good. Like whatever keeps happening is not good. The execute that's that that's one hundred percent. That is coaching and execution. Yeah, and why is Greg Roman still allowed to coach? Honestly, like I'm I'm off the Harbaugh train. I've been on. I've been a Harbaugh defender the whole time. Like you can't Same. just let this happen. Nope. And you can't get on that. This is a character building win after the game. No. So I think I thankfully unplugged from social media after the game because I was just like, I'm going to probably break something if I start looking at things. And I saw that video this morning and I was just like, is this a joke? Is this guy, is this guy real? Like with this, this is a character building win. Like shut the fuck up. Like, that's that the kind really of thing. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you, you should see in like uh Detroit or Jacksonville when they win yeah. a, like a bullshit game. Cause like that, those are, those are franchises that, uh, are generally are just like suffering through every season. So yeah, you want your players to buy in that like you're on the up and up. Okay, fine. No, not this team. This is a team uh, in 2019 who, if there wasn't a, uh, a bobble on a, a catch, I'm talking about Mark Andrews that, and Mark Andrews had a great game this, this week, as far as I'm concerned, he, he was, mm. he, uh, I mean, it, he had a fine game. It wasn't great, but it also, you know, with what we're dealing with, it was fine. He was making every catch this week. So, um, you know, like I, and I, I predicted that last week too. I thought, you know, 
he, this is what he does. He'll, he'll come back and it will, it will be sort of meaningless, his contribution, but he was fucking selling out for everything. He was making every Man. catch this week. But Mark Andrews in that Titans game, that Titans playoff game, didn't bring the, the catch in, tipped it up in the air, got picked off, and then Greg Roman uh, went into like a death spiral that hasn't ended yet. Uh, you know, so 2019, this was a team that I think that that team easily could have won the Super Bowl. If that Titans game went differently, 2020 could have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, 2020 again. It's the team that you know. It was a weird year with COVID and playing our Thanksgiving Day game got played on a fucking Wednesday afternoon and all that other bullshit. Still a team that was was very much in contention last year. We were the one seed until Lamar got hurt. So this this is not a team that's that that needs like we need to to like oh we need to take that next step. No, this is a team that's been ready to be in the Super Bowl for three consecutive years, four consecutive years. This is the fourth year. So, um, you know, we don't need those bullshit rah-rah speeches from Harbaugh. We need him to, to be more realistic and say, you know, we won ugly today. And this post-game speech should have been, we won. And there's really nothing else to talk about. Like, that was right. embarrassing. Let's go home. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, good for Tyler Huntley. got another win, but uh, he's lost a lot of games, too. So yeah. I, 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 he does not inspire me in any way. I'm I, nope. I'm perfectly fine with him being the backup quarterback on our team. I'm not perfectly fine with him being the starter. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with getting rid of him because if he comes in, we're not going to win games anyway. So, like, at this point, like, if somebody was going to give us anything of value for him back, like, I'd just send him out the door. Yeah, that, too. Nothing against him personally. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like there's just he doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? He's just not he's not a good quarterback. Yeah. I think his greatest uh his greatest asset at this point is that he could net some sort of return on a trade. Yeah. And I mean honestly I don't know why we didn't do it last year. And I'm gonna say the same thing this offseason of if we don't trade him. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Because we did sign him to a two-year contract, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure we. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going for another year. So, what's the point of keeping him if he's cheap and somebody's willing to get offer you? I mean, I'm talking like fourth-round pick. Like, yeah. goodbye. Because he he was an undrafted free agent, right? Yeah. So, I mean, whatever return you get on him is better than what you gave him to start yep. off with. And he's yeah. And just, this, is, this is not going to be a year where our draft is going to be. We're not going to have 11 picks this year. So no, no. So any pickups? Yeah, definitely. Him and so, Chuck Clark can get lost. Oh, for sure. So takeaways from this past game uh, was disgusting. We won the game. So, you know, that's that's really, yeah. Yeah. You know, we got to win. So yeah, I'm glad I am happy that we got to win, but uh, this team does not inspire me at all right now. The defense, the defense does defense still does, but I just don't know how many games we can win with the the defense is not going to hold every team to fucking nine points. They could do no. it this week against the Steelers. They could. Yeah, They're- maybe. But here's the thing. Like, you can't be relying on the defense to hold teams to under 20 points. Like, if you need the defense to hold them to under 20 points to win, it's it's not a good winning formula because that's no. just – that's the magical number. That seems to be what pretty much every team is capable of scoring any given week. And so you yep. got to be able to score 25-plus points. Yeah. So I will – but 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 this, this defense – um, especially with Marcus Williams coming back soon, um, I think is very capable of holding teams to well under 20 points a game. So I think, but we should still be assuming teams are going to score 20 points every week and we need an offense that can outscore a team scoring 20 points. Cause I don't, I, you know, you know, it'd be great. Think, just think about this. If we win the game by multiple scores, 10 points, be great. 
14 points, 20 points, 30 points. Remember how, remember 2019? It was fucking incredible. Every week. Yep. We were winning games by 30 fucking points every week. I'm losing years off my life because of this team. Yeah. And it's been this way for three years. Yeah. It's been a lot worse this year than it's been in the past, too. Yeah. Well, last year was pretty bad, too, except we were actually winning all those close games. And now this year, we've had those close yeah, games. Yeah, last, last year at the end, we lost those five games in a row by, what was it, like 10 combined points. And I had, I had no faith in Huntley to begin with. So it was kind of like a false hope. Yeah, exactly. But even with Lamar, the games were close. Like we needed a fucking 66 yeah. yard field goal to beat Detroit because a midget dropped three touchdowns. Fucking midget. Yeah, we should talk about all the uh, idiots who are drooling over Pickens again in Steelers week. That actually might be a good pivot to Steelers. It is a good pivot to Steelers week. So, yes, let's get into it. We play the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. Those, those filthy cunts, the fucking yins between the three rivers and everything. I get further down and further down the rabbit hole of fucking Rudy family and everything. Really, if you want to get my feelings on that, just listen to hit them up by Tupac. Simple as that. But they are five and seven. They just came off of a two. Was it? They're on a two-game win streak or some bullshit with Kenny Pickett, who's throwing three touchdowns for eight picks so far this year. Offense hasn't been great. Their defense hasn't been great, but they've been better lately, I guess. So you know, yeah, I expect to be to be another ugly kind of game. Another AFC North kind of game for this week. And to be honest, for the next three opponents, I could see our defense hold them to roughly 10 or less, 17 or less, because you get the Steelers to pick it. You get the Browns with Deshaun Watson, the rapist, a.k.a. Yeah, the rapist, dude who's still fairly rusty. Next pass, yeah. And then, of course, you get Mariota and the Falcons the week after that. None of those offense are, are the greatest show on turf, but you never know. The NFL is in any given Sunday kind of week. So I digress. Will, give me your thoughts going into the game. Give me your thoughts on George Pickens, a.k.a. Justin T- Justin Hunter 2.0. Thanks, Drew. And he, a.k.a. Big Marquise Brown. Yeah, so here are the keys to the game. Make George Pickens mad. Annoy George Pickens. Upset George Pickens fans. We happen to be Ravens fans. Them. All, all George... Pickens fans, but especially uh, Ravens, George Pickens fans. And uh, I think that's basically it. I think if we if we do those things, George Pickens, I think this week is going to have a fucking meltdown. I'm predicting that. I think that we're going to have Marlon Humphrey. Remember Marlon Humphrey? And I think it was in 2019, right? That was the that was the 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 Odell choke choke. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to see that this week. I think that George Pickens is going to is going to unleash the dragon in in Marlon Humphrey. So I originally thought that we were going to see Marcus Peters on Pickens. And I think maybe we will see a little bit of that. I don't know. If we're going to see uh, Marlon like assigned to any one particular receiver, but I think we'll see both of our, our, you know, our top cornerbacks lining up against him, uh, depending on how he gets moved around. But I think Marlon's going to frustrate the shit out of him because Marlon is real physical and um, Pickens is very easily rattled. So I think that we're going to see Marlon get in his head. And then I think that's when you see, hopefully Mike McDonald's paying attention and puts Peters over there. And then Peters sends it over the edge. Cause Peters is, is a, a demon. So I think I actually our- have it opposite of you. So I had the same idea, but I think the opposite way works better. I think you have Marcus Peters in there to soften him up. And then Marlon actually locking him down as a push him over the edge. 
I th- yeah, I think we're going to see the other way around because I think by the time we put Marcus on him and, you know, we've seen Marcus, Marcus had trouble uh, being consistent throughout games. So like, I think Marwin softens him up and, and, and really like tenderizes the meat. And then we see Marcus come in and do what he does best and get in his head. Cause I don't think Marwin's getting in his head. I, like imagine the trash talk Marwin Humphrey, Marwin Humphrey probably says the weirdest shit to people. So I, I don't like think, he, cat. yeah, yeah. So I think Marlon just lets his play speak for itself, and eventually, like he might choke you if you if you really piss him off. But I think Marcus is going to come in and really fucking rattle uh, George Pickens and and get in his head with the trash talk and whatever else. Because you know Marcus, as far as like the, his coverage this year has not been great, but his physical plays has been. Very good. So um, I think our cornerbacks are going to are, are going to key in on that because they know George Pickens is uh, is already sort of gotten in his he's own right. head. Yeah, he's right. He's right for the pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think if we can get George Pickens off his game, the fact that the head coach Steelers head coach is being asked and giving these answers like basically like um, excusing his 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 antics. The fact that he has to answer for a rookie acting like a uh, fucking asshole the way he has that, that that's all I need to know. Like, uh, yeah, Mike Tomlin's going to come go to bat for his guy. Of course he is J- just like John Harbaugh would too, but any, like any good coach would, but you know, in the back of Tomlin's mind, he's thinking, uh, what the fuck? Like, why am I answering questions about a fucking rookie wide receiver? Well, and so the thing is, is like his answer was, was great. Like, yeah, you do want a guy who wants to be good. You do want a competitive guy, but you know, there is a point where maturity comes into play and like, you can't be kicking your helmet on the sideline. You can't be begging for the ball two games in. And again, you look at George Pickens numbers and they do not, you know, they not scream, throw me the ball there. He's not putting up all pro numbers. He's not some, you know, fucking great productive wide receiver. He's a, I don't know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three on most teams with 500 yards and two touchdowns at this point here. Right. And what is it like 35 catches? It's just not. He's crying about the quarterback, but it's been different quarterbacks been multiple quarterbacks. Well, and again, good wide receivers don't need good quarterbacks to produce good wide receivers, put up the numbers, no matter who's throwing them the ball. Right. And like, does it help to have an elite quarterback? Sure. But again, like Justin Jefferson is killing it with Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball. DeAndre Hopkins killed it for years with who the fuck knows playing quarterback. Kirby Yates was playing quarterback for him at some point. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, or CJ Yates or the fuck his name was. I don't even remember. It's just, it's not, he is not, his talent does not outweigh his mouth at this point. And like, until he's going to sit there and put up those all pro numbers, he can't be talking the way he does or he's going to cause problems. So that's the guy that you target as a defense. You take him out of the game because you know, that's going to cause problems on the sideline. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, he's already complaining about, you know, the amount of times he's touching the ball, whatever. So now We've seen him the past couple of weeks drop the ball a bunch of times. Last week, I, I was I was uh, breaking news on our podcast about his drops in real time. Um, so that's a that's a problem that has has surfaced just in the past couple of weeks because that was like his his I think one of the greatest things about him coming out of college was he had a super low drop rate. So now suddenly we've seen him get emotional and he's dropping the ball. So yeah, get in George Pickens' head. And what it's, he is, it's weird. It's he's going to be a weapon because, for us because yeah. if you get in his head on the sideline, he's going to disrupt that sideline so much. They're all going to be thrown off. They're going to be worried about calming down George Pickens and not about executing on the field. 
again, we're seeing a, a faster escalation of a Hollywood Brown. I mean, Hollywood yep. didn't start dropping passes till the soldier tweet. Like, yeah. you know, his first couple of games in Baltimore, he was fine. His first year or so in Baltimore, he wasn't dropping passes. He just wasn't getting open. And right. then he tweets about, you know, what's the point of having soldiers if you don't use them? And all of a sudden the drop show up. It's the same thing with Pickett. So if you cry for the ball, they throw you the ball, you drop it because you're in your own head. Right. Yeah. So I would direct anyone listening to this who hasn't checked it out yet. Go to my Twitter. I have a uh, a comparison of two plays that look very similar. And on the top, you're going to see Hollywood Brown. And on the bottom, you're going to see George Pickens. And it's identical. Almost from There's the exact no- same spot on the field. The body language after the drop, everything is identical. So is, is Nick a friend of the podcast this week or is Nick a George Pickens supporter? That's not a friend of the podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, we're working on him. We're softening him yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's surrounded by Steelers fans with his uh, podcast. So I don't yeah, know if we it's should. True. Uh, it's true. You know, we, we have to yeah. support him in this tough time. Yeah. So basically here, here are my keys of the game. The offensive line, whoever is responsible for assignments, we need to make sure that, TJ Watt can't somehow get in there and, uh, you know, destroy people's ankles, roll, roll over people's feet. We can't let TJ Watt dictate the game. So whatever we need to do, I think Pat Ricard is going to see a, uh, an uptick in his snaps this week because we're going to need that extra help on the blocking side. So whatever, uh, James, sorry, buddy. When you do your Monday morning, uh, snap count, uh, everybody's real quiet about Ricard this week though. Everybody's yeah. real quiet. And we had our worst offensive performance, and he played his lowest percentage of snaps. So. Right, exactly. So, um, w- whatever we need to do to to keep the the only good thing about the Steelers is that pass rush, and it's really only T.J. Watt and I guess Cam Hayward too. But um, you know, we need to, we need to account for those guys as long as we can keep them out of the backfield. Let Tyler Huntley uh, complete his quick hit passes. Um, hopefully, Roman has a some sort of a game plan for, for moving us down the field. I think uh, we're going to see Mark Andrews get a ton of targets, probably 15 targets. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like a 10, 12 catch game for like 130 yards. Um, but we need to get in the end zone. We need to score. We cannot be in a game where we need a touchdown at the end to, to pull ahead of a team that we're limiting to field goals. So um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be, this is going to be an ugly game. I don't see us putting up a lot of points. Uh, the defense, as long as they keep playing like they have been playing, I think the Steelers offense is trash. So um, I think we're looking at a game that is winnable. I'm not as confident about it without Lamar, but I think it's still winnable. So, you know, I don't know if we're doing our, our actual game predictions right now or not, but I might as well. Yeah. Um, We're on the road, right? Yeah. White and purple. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not accepting anything other than white and purple. So. Yeah, same. This is a white, white and purple, uh, obviously, and I think we're gonna win seventeen to ten. Right. I got white and purple road game. Obviously, um, if they limit Najee Harris and don't let him do damage, you know, in the red zone and just kind of keep his work to between the twenties, he's good for seventy yards a game on twenty-five carries. Like that's just gonna happen. Yep. Don't let him break anything. You know, defense do their job. Offense just do enough. I, I think you know. 21-14 is, is a realistic win for us there. Those seem reasonable. I mean, I'm with you. I want to see white jerseys, purple pants. I could also see them doing something real stupid, and we're not going to mention that, but we're just going to say for positive vibes, white jerseys, purple pants. We're going to say Marcus Williams is going to be back this week. I don't know if he will, but I want him to, so I'm putting that out into existence. 
And I think this is going to be a classic game of 13 to 10 Ravens. It's going to be up. Okay. It's going to be defense dominant and dominated. I think pro- most likely Pat Fryermuth is going to be their leading receiver this week because if Greg Dulcich can go off for six catches for 80 yards, Fryermuth can get you pretty similar to that. I'd say probably five for 70. But either way, I'd be surprised if both offenses totaled for 400 yards or 500 yards in this game. So 13-10 Ravens, that's that's what I'm going with, personally. Fair. Fair enough. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take any win this week. Like last week, I was embarrassed by the 10-9 win, but that's because we we got to beat the, the Steelers. Yeah. got to beat the Steelers. Yeah. I don't care how we win against the Steelers. I don't care what the score is. And going into it knowing we're not going to have Lamar Jackson, my expectations are much different. Yeah. With, with Lamar Jackson, you know, I, ex- I, I expect 20 – 20 plus points easily, you know, and on a weekly basis, I'm predicting 30 plus points. So, uh, you know, we're, we'll get there, but with, with Tyler Huntley, it, you know, he is the definition of don't lose us the game. Dink and dunk. He ain't can, yeah. He ain't putting yeah. up 30 points. Give me, give me 60 attempts, 300 yards and 21 points on the board. And I'm good. But yep. I don't know. I may, make it work. This is a good time to get into our, uh, our moron friends on Twitter and the, uh, EDC side of things here. Yeah, any any time's good for that. Go into it. So, I mean, I have read so many comments on Twitter, and again, when ugly wins or ugly losses come out, like this is kind of what our fan base does as we devolve and you know fracture and go into these civil wars. And EDC has been the guy who's been getting the brunt of it lately, and I'm not really sure why. Um, I, I've given this some actual like serious thought, and I, I feel like. It's Harbaugh's fault. And like, that's the guy who our kind of rage should be focused towards. And I wanted to brainstorm here. So I have a list of uh, major complaints. I put something out on Twitter and got a bunch of people to uh, respond to me here. So I wanted to read through them point by point and see what you guys think and see if kind of we're all on the same page here. Um, so the first major thing that I got is that Eric Tacosa doesn't adapt and that he is kind of like an Aussie clone. Um, I think that that's fine if you want to push this whole we've been a defense first you know team for our entirety i don't understand how building a team for lamar jackson is the same thing that ozzy ever did because ozzy never did something like that am i am i like wildly off base here and thinking that just because we failed and we've gotten you know like we've, we've drafted miles boykin and we've drafted you know shit wide receivers that we're not trying to build something different and just kind of failing at it no, I'd say you're, I mean, on the money, they're at least try, like EDC's taken more cracks at the apple compared to Ozzy. I mean, if I remember right, he's only drafted a handful of receivers from his tenure from 1996 to 2018. In the first four years or five years of, yeah, four years of DeCosta taking over as the actual GM, not just the guy scouting the players and giving us two cents and, having a major role in drafting certain players, but actually picking the players himself and coming down to the final decision, they've made more, taken more shots at there's Marquise. There's um, Boykin, obviously you mentioned, which was a failure. Devin Duvernay, um, the butterfly t-shirt salesman, Bateman. and then Bateman. And then of course, uh, Tyler yes, Wallace. Wallace. That was the sixth one. Yeah. Cause they didn't draft a receiver this year, but those are the six. No, but he also drafted two tight ends. So, I mean, it, here's here's my my two tight my ends that profile as like 
Red zone targets when you stop in the red zone. Pass catchers than, than, you know, the traditional sense. So where I get caught up by these people is that if your criticism of Eric DeCosta is that he has not succeeded on what he's invested in terms of wide receivers and tight ends, I I can live with that. You know what I mean? If you want to say that he hasn't hit on a pick yet and, you know, his veteran signings haven't really worked out, I'm not really going to fight you tooth and nail on that because I think that is a problem. I think that that's something that, you know, needs to be worked on and maybe you need to look at an outside the box solution, but the attempts there. And so the whole, he doesn't adapt, doesn't really make sense to me. I think where he's failed is that he's allowed John Harbaugh to have too much say on the roster and Greg Roman to have too much say on the roster. Yeah. Without question. I mean, I mean, you guys, I mean, y'all mentioned it yet. Drafting certain players to fit certain schemes. I will say, I mean, I'm actually really happy the Steelers drafted that dude, Calvin Austin, the fast midget, because had he been there, the Ravens would have taken him instead of Isaiah Likely. And I'd rather not have a roster with a short midget as opposed to a pretty good tight end with some moves after the catch. I mean, he's he's had his drop issues, but I mean, he's young, still and developing, and he's shown a lot of promise. I mean, we remember the Tampa game. He caught that tutty against the tight against the Saints. I mean, since yep. he has he has a hell of a lot so, of promise. I'd rather have that than a guy who hasn't played at all for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. That's actually a good. So that was another a huge one that I got was that we did not replace Hollywood Brown after last year. And my confusion with that and why I think everybody points to that as some kind of you know EDC sucks like talking point is Hollywood Brown was not what we wanted. Like we drafted him to be our wide receiver one. And he just wasn't our wide receiver one. Like he just wasn't that guy. We gave him the target share. We gave him everything that he asked for. He just didn't produce that level. He was top 10 in targets. And I don't think he cracked the top 20 in anything else. So why are we looking to replace him with something the same? Like the, the issue there should be that we didn't go out and get a legitimate wide receiver one. You know, EDC has been GM for four years and we haven't gone out and gotten a DeAndre Hopkins, a Stefan Diggs, uh, Adam Thielen, um, Devonte Adams moved in that time. Terry kill moved in that time. Like, why did we not go get somebody like that? Is my question. Not why did we not replace Marquise Brown? We didn't want Marquise Brown. And so I, I don't, I don't fully understand kind of that thought process. Um, and that was kind of the other, the other huge one that I got is basically, you know, lack of wide receivers and, you know, your quarterback's your focal point. Why haven't you supported him? And so what, what do our fans want is what I'm confused by because we got everybody drooling over George Pickens. Like, why do you want George Pickens when we could have gone out and gotten a DeAndre Hopkins or gotten a legitimate number one wide receiver? Yeah, whole, we had this conversation last week, right? Yeah. This, this, this whole, you know, drafting wide receivers has not worked for us. So why are we drooling over drafts? It's never worked for us. And people want to talk about, right. They want to talk about EDC. Oh, he can't like, he hasn't addressed the wide receiver position, but the Ravens, he, as a franchise, yeah. have never drafted the wide receiver position well, ever. That that's I think that's the one that bugs me the most is when he's not addressed the wide receiver position. He has, he just hasn't succeeded at it, and that's right. fine. Like you can point that out. Like you know, I'll sit here and talk talk for this. I yeah, I'm sure I can go back and listen to all of our old you know episodes here, and I've I've said a lot of critical things about what he's done with wide receivers, but he has never succeeded because he keeps using the same you know, pattern of you draft a couple of wide receivers, you sign an aging veteran, you draft a couple of wide receivers, you sign an aging veteran. That's not working. So maybe switch that approach up, but the attempt is there. So it's not that he's ignoring wide receivers, it's just that he sucks at fixing it. 
Right. So investing two first round picks in three years, right? Not they weren't two consecutive Four. years. Oh, yeah. Marquise was, was, was twenty nineteen. Three years. Yeah. And Marquise twenty nine. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. So two first round picks at the wide receiver position. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's significant investment at the wide receiver position. And then to take Duvernay was a third round pick. Yep. Boykin was a third round pick. Boykin was a third round pick. Wallace was a four. Right. And uh, the butterfly t-shirt salesman was a six. So, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't really count that as like investing in the wide receiver position, but the fact that they've, kept them, around, shot. they've kept them around this long means they've invested because that, you know, they, they, they keep, they keep, sort of like reinforcing that investment in the first place. But then Sammy Watkins and um, DeMarcus, DeMarcus Robinson, Robinson and Seth Roberts. Jackson and Seth Roberts and Des Bryant. Uh, Des Bryant. So, yeah. And, you know, I get that people you could someone who doesn't like us or even our our good friend Nick could clip what I just said and be like, look at these dumbass motherfuckers talking about the people that we've invested money in at the wide receiver position. I get that, but it's still not correct to say that EDC hasn't tried to address the wide receiver position. Like you said, he he's probably gone about it in the wrong way yeah. and it's time to change. And, and, you know, I, I believe that we will, like, I think I, I said, I think um, this off season, we're going to have two new starters at wide receiver come next season. That's, that's my belief. And I think one's going to be a trade and one's going to be a free agent acquisition. Um, But I think we're going to, we are going to approach the wide receiver position as a position of great need. And um, I I just don't, I I don't, I don't see the, the EDC criticism. Like EDC is not the, the root of our problem. Unless that's that's what uh, I wanted to get to is EDC is drafting to fit our scheme. I right. feel like, and he's, he's signing guys to fit right. our scheme. So who's he drafting for? He's Greg drafting Roman. for Harbaugh. And, well, Greg, and right. I think he's drafting for Harbaugh and by extension, Greg Roman. But again, I, I see them as the same problem. You know, John Harbaugh has kept Greg Roman around for this long. So I feel like you have to throw him under the bus this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, I've been a Harbaugh defender for a long time. But when we, like, like we've talked about to a, you know, I don't know how we could talk about it more, that play – that Greg Roman called. Yeah, that that's, was him in a nutshell. That, that's, that's been him here in a nutshell. Greg Roman is John Harbaugh's buddy. He's here. He's been here too long. He called that play in that situation with that personnel on the field, and he still has a job. And now it's uh, Tuesday, December 6th at 10.51 p.m. Eastern time. So he should have been fired on Sunday after yeah. the game. It, instead of giving that speech in the locker room about – that this was a character win. It should have been, hey, everyone, gather around. I'm going to cut off Greg Roman's head right here in the middle of the, the locker room. We can all celebrate afterwards. Like Spin it like a fucking touchdown celebration. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that Greg Roman still has his job there, and you know, all indications point to one way or the other, Greg Roman is gone. Because there's a lot of chatter about Stanford, and now we're Stanford seeing Willie Cardinals, Taggart. Please. Yeah, now we're seeing Willie Taggart was brought in for an interview. Why the fuck are we bringing him in for an interview if it's not to be the offensive coordinator? So like, I think the fact that that's even be- happening, those, those discussions happening right now, um, Roman, just opened up. Roman's gone. And, and yeah. I don't mean gone at the end of the season. I think he's gone. Like before December is, is over because so it's it's, tra- yeah, 
transfer portal just opened up. Yeah. I mean, that, that's Stan- kind of the yeah, new Stanford recruiting. Stanford can't, can't, can't wait until, you know, mid January to make a, a head coaching hire. So if they want Greg Roman, he's got to go do it now. He's got to start recruiting. Um, so I think that Greg Roman being gone is a realistic scenario in the next week or two. This could and be the I'm, last game that Greg Roman that we have this conversation about Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator. And no matter what happens after that, whether whoever takes over, I think it would be silly for us to hire an outside guy like Willie Taggart to be the offensive coordinator in the middle of the season where we have guys in the building, because you're asking too much then of the offense to like basically learn someone else's system. I think it needs to be someone who has experience coaching in the system, can call plays from the playbook that we already have and can do it their own way. But um, so I my think a change idea for is that would be my idea for that would be you have T Martin and Willie Taggart be kind of your co-offensive coordinators. Of so you have T Martin as your continuity of the guy who kind of knows the playbook, right. and you have Willie Taggart bringing in new ideas. Right, Taggart and would be sort of like the the offensive uh, consultant. Yeah, and you know I, I don't care what you call their actual roles, but I, yeah, I think yeah, that I that's kind of got to be. I think that's got to kind of be your move. Right, and I think well, that that addresses a lot of things that people don't like about EDC. Right, is Agreed. that when when you fix that offensive coordinator problem, you kind of get rid of that pressure off EDC. I right. mean, it, any way you split it, he has been a wizard on defense, and he is he has made our defense legitimate every year, other than last year, and that's when we had you know half of our team on IR. So I don't know what you can blame him for for Actually, that. Actually, I think you got to call him a wizard for what he was able to do last year. With the amount of dead money he had on the uh, on the the IR. injured list, yeah, the fact he was still able to string together a team that was that went eight and nine, and that the only the only two losses we had all season that were really ugly losses were those two Bengals games. The rest of the games were were close. So the fact that he was able to cobble together a a, a depth chart. With the with the amount of money that was invested in injured players is actually I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. I but, got a couple of comments on CB three being something that he's not been great at addressing, which is but, fine. But, but I well, he tried to this year, and we yeah, we, and Kyle the Paul fucking MetLife MetLife got us. But so, I think to that I think I think to that extent, when you're starting to go after him about CB three, four, and five, you're almost like. You're you're splitting hairs at that point, yeah, yeah. and if there Agreed. weren't other issues, nobody's going to be really mad at your you know fifth and sixth string quarterback. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that was the same thing with to start off the year. I got one comment from um, it was actually Sway, who was like a pretty smart kid that I've followed for a while, and he was like, "Why do we only start the year with two outside linebackers?" And I think that it's kind of the same thing of like I think EDC has put too much faith in injured players to come back faster than they were expected. Um, you can even look at Ronnie and like the offensive line problems. And that's kind of the same thing of like, he almost trusts our medical staff too much. And if they right. tell him that somebody's going to be ready for week one, like he kind of plans the roster around that guy being ready for week one. And Ronnie has burned us multiple years in a row now with not being ready to go. And I, I struggle because people talk about tackle depth, not being good enough, but like you invested a hundred million dollars into Ronnie Stanley and to some extent, you expect him to kind of suck it up and play through injuries and sort of, you know, be that guy and be that anchor of your offensive line. And, like, you're not replacing an all-pro left tackle. Like, those just don't grow on no. trees. Right. Like, that's even not an when, easy move. Even when we did that with, with Orlando Brown Jr., he was not even close to a replacement-level left tackle. He was a great He's right tackle. He's leading the league in pressures given up as a left tackle this year. Right. He's so, not a good left tackle. 
No, no. And, you know, I, I understand like in a perfect world, you, you pick some guy in the sixth round who turns into this great left tackle, but that's not realistic to expect that out of him. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, we may have done that, not the sixth round, the fourth round, but this is a guy who has only seen the field for basically one game ever as a left tackle. So Laley is a guy that I wish we took in 2019 because now he would be a stud. You know what I mean, I, I think in a few years, Flaley is going to be uh, a problem in the league. I mean, you don't, you can't teach a guy being six, seven, three hundred forty pounds and moving like he does, right? Or four hundred pounds, or whatever yeah. the fuck he weighs. Yeah. So yeah, I think that EDC's efforts to address the problem areas, it, people who who don't acknowledge those efforts, are just lying to themselves. Well, uh, and I think that there's a difference between effort and success. And if right. you want to talk about his success in, you know, tackle depth and wide receiver, like it hasn't been there. And that, that's that it's okay to point that out. Like you're not hating on the guy for saying that he's tried and failed multiple times, but to act like he doesn't care and he doesn't try to make the team better is fucking wild to me. Right. I, I don't understand. Well, and that. also to act like he, everything he does is like he's penny pinching because I, that's not the case. He's working within the con- the constraints of the, salary cap as it is designed and he's given contracts out to a lot of players who deserve them who are uh mainstays and you know the backbone of the the roster and like even last week both grant and i mentioned at the exact same time lamar jackson hasn't gotten paid but he is making 25 million bucks this year he's on a fifth year option i think a- it's fair to point out his lack of creativity with the cap too but right. that also takes two to tango. You know, the player has to be down with that. Well, like, and also he's also he, he has avoided the situation that got the Rams where they are right now. They they have three wins, so like they they're in danger of being the worst Super Bowl hangover team of all time if they don't and win some six of that's games. Injuries. It, it, totally, but they 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 went all in last year. They won the Super Bowl, and this year they fucking stink. And we've seen the same thing in New Orleans. They they tried to do that same thing, and it didn't work. And they're in cap hell. Like next mm-hmm. next year, they're projected to be like sixty four million dollars over the 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 salary cap on day one of the the league year, and they don't even have a fucking quarterback. They're so, also that every year. So I think that the Saints are a great example of the salary cap not being real. But there is also like a, a give and take there. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, I'm uh, just saying. Uh, so I think, don't go wild, it, but but, but don't, EDC yeah. doesn't it, it is very committed to the approach of never putting the Ravens in the situation where we go into to day one of of the the next league year and we have some like massive deficit where we have to then basically just kick the can down the road and keep. If you have that problem in one year and you solve it in like two hours, that means you have that problem now the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. You're going to have to f- figure that shit out every fucking year. So, you know, I think he, he takes a very responsible approach to managing the salary cap, but it's frustrating for fans because, you know, we see other teams doing big splash move after big splash move. We see Kansas City is always a team that like somehow in November, every time a, a guy hits the fucking free agent market, they, they end up signing with Kansas City or Tampa mm-hmm. Bay is another one where, where it's like that. So, you know, we'd like to be that team at some point. And I think for people, I want who, him to people take a short, they receiver. take a short view. They, they like, they, 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 they're too reactive. And obviously we want to win the Super Bowl every year. And we want to be contenders every year. I think EDC is basically setting up, setting us up where we are contenders every year, but 
this approach, we will outlast all those teams that try and do that bullshit too much to the point where suddenly then it's just like the teams who haven't been doing all that nonsense with void years and with restructures and everything else where they find themselves in these cap like cap, cap purgatory situations mm-hmm. we are never going to be there we'll never be yeah. there so eventually it's it's going to come back around and we're going to have a shit ton of cap space we're going to sign a bunch of fucking you know, big name free agents. It's not going to be next year. It may be, I think two years from now might be a window where we see that this kind of open up for us, where we're in a position where hopefully we re-sign Lamar and the way we re-sign him, the way it's structured gives us a lot of cap room going into year two of the extension. And we end up with a team that, you know, is sort of like, injury proof that because that's been our problem we we have one yep. guy go down and we get fucked so i'm i'm okay with risking it a little bit for the right guy and i i feel like that has not been something that we've done and i, right. I would like to see him maybe push the edge on a wide receiver one i think it could happen it could happen yeah. but i but i think the timing's got to be right and i don't think the timing's been right yet because like number one you don't make that move if you're not committed to your quarterback i don't think so i think his approach in that sense like Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams, of course we'd want to have those guys. But if you don't have your quarterback under contract, which is which, like you said earlier, is a two to tango thing. Like obviously EDC has made efforts to get Lamar Jackson extended. It hasn't worked yet. So when that does happen, then I think you talk about a guy comes on the market, a you know, a top tier wide receiver comes on the market via trade or whatever else. I think then you see ownership and front office more willing to make a move, a a bold move to put that guy on this team with our quarterback that we know we have for years to come. But right now, if we don't have agreement on both sides, why would we invest heavily in a wide receiver? And that was the other loud criticism that I got was that Lamar has not been extended yet. And I think you have to look at that as a whole and not just a year by year thing. I don't think Lamar was willing to sign an extension until this year. Um, if you look at the QB market, it has continually gone up and Lamar would have cost himself money signing Josh Allen's extension. Yep. And so from a takes two to tango standpoint, like you can't hold EDC accountable for Lamar, not wanting to lock himself up early and Lamar wanting to get every dollar out of the Ravens. And that's fine. I'm not going to hold EDC accountable for Lamar, not signing until Lamar is on another team. If that ever happens. Same because also it's worth, you know, pointing out that EDC doesn't have like, yeah, he, he he's the guy who puts the contract in front of the, of the, the players, but he doesn't own the team. So like, no. he doesn't have like just this like blank check to, to go sign guys, however he wants. So, and you I know, mean, if, if Lamar had a, an asking price that they weren't on the same wavelength that, and they're both willing to wait the season out and see where they end up at the end of it, then fine. Um, I don't you know, think I, I would rather have Lamar Jackson under contract. So mm-hmm. uh, just to be clear, I'm not I'm not advocating for the t- like, oh, yeah, I want to save the team money. No, fuck. No, I don't give a fuck about the team's money. It's not it's not my my bank account. I if if it were me, I would sign Lamar Jackson to a 20 year, two billion dollar contract right now. I don't give a fuck. It's not my money. I don't care. So as far as like me and the money is concerned, no, but I do understand EDC has a responsibility to his employer to not just go give some frivolous contract out. So if he can get Lamar Jackson signed for 
for $30 million less than Lamar Jackson wants, or that it's like his initial demand, then that's his job to get that done. And I mean, I've been, and I have not put this on the podcast. I've not really put this out publicly much, but I mean, I've been told by someone I, I somewhat trust. I, I, they've been fairly good to me so far in terms of what they've told me is that the Ravens and Lamar were not that far off on a, a total contract and it came down to the guaranteed money. Right. And so if, if, if both sides agree on the framework and it's a, you know, five-year $250 million deal and you're haggling about, you know, what the guaranteed money is, then there really hasn't been a crazy change. And so I don't think that Lamar is just all of a sudden, like, I don't want to play here anymore. Yeah. I think that eventually he does want to be here and that the framework is there and that a deal is going to get done. And it's really all about making it work for both sides. And so Agreed. again, until that, until that day comes that he's wearing another uniform, I'm not going to get on EDC about him not being signed. Excellent point, you. gentlemen. There's one more thing we need to get into. Drew and Will, you guys went to the tailgate party down at M&T Bank Stadium to meet up with a couple of people. Two of the members of the Zone 32 podcast are down there. There's supposed to be a third one, but we now have a question because he was not there. And if I recall, and he's not here. his excuse was he was eating sandwiches with some elderly folks on a park bench. 40 minutes away. So it, 40 minutes away. So here begs the question. Is Grant real? I, I'm not sure. And again, we're here for Pickens Week. Like this is supposed to be Grant's week to shine, and he is just not here to defend his boy. On top of the, you know, the weird text. And again, I'm not from Baltimore, so I don't really know locations and what he's telling me. But when I showed up at the brewery, uh, Pickett Brewery, by the way, anybody in Baltimore was was great. Um, you know, owner was great. Owners were there the whole time. Um, you're in a craft beer and that kind of stuff like that. They had a great selection. I tried, I think, five or six different beers while I was there. Um, definitely recommend going and checking them out. But again, I showed up there and Will was telling me the landmark that Grant was saying that he was at was like an hour outside of the city. And then all of a sudden he's parked in Federal Hill, which apparently is like a 40 minute walk away. And he's going to meet up with this old man and eat a sandwich on a bench and then show up. I just, I don't know. All is right. he real? I'm going to read you word for word. Okay. Mm-hmm. Grant says this is at eleven twenty six a.m. Okay, so just bear in mind, we told we Grant we were for... we were going to be there from ten to eleven. This is eleven twenty six, and I stayed in about forty five minutes later than I planned. Yeah. So, so at eleven twenty six, Grant says, "Okay, his buddy and his in this context is uh, Grant's uncle, who he went to the game with." So he says, "Okay, his buddy said he's going to get here and mow down a sub, then trying to catch up for a beer." Yeah, just not. Uh, I don't know. And again, ben, I told him I was Ben at twelve twenty four. He says we finally left McGurk's twelve twenty four. Did he even make it to the game on time? I'm not sure. Was he even at the game? Is is this Grant person that we've been talking to for months? Is he even a real person? I mean, I feel like we have a, we have like a a double agent in our midst. I mean, I've seen a lot of holograms before. You know, they had Tupac on stage at a concert one time. And he's been dead for like 20 years. So is, is, is the grant we've been talking to even a real human? Are those cur- are those curtains behind him real? Did he put up a Christmas tree just to fuck with us? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Like there's a lot of uh, a lot of valid questions being asked and really not a lot of answers. Not a lot of answers. But we should point out that there were a lot of good people at uh, Pickett Brewing. So a lot of people that, you know, Drew and I get in the mix with Jake. You don't really get in the mix with anybody on Twitter, but not at all. Uh, yeah. 
So honestly, sure. before today, people would have questioned if Jake was the real one on the podcast. So which to be fair is is understandable because again, if you follow me on yeah. the Twitter, I barely like things. They, all I do is just enough to where you know I've made an, a very slight internet presence where I was on the internet today. And then weekly And one of Jake's mutual followers with me is like a real life friend of mine. So again, it, it threw up red flags. I don't know how you know him, but again, you know, there there were questions for Jake, but Jake's clearly a real person. Yeah. But so I will say that uh Cole is like one of the nicest people I've ever met, which not not, can, Canadian, not surprising. So. He's Canadian. So, you know, I think they're obligated it's like part of their constitution to just be nice to everybody. So he was super nice guy. I do got Spencer I do, and Jake. I, very. I do got to ask Drew. Did you tell him you're not his body of wine? And did he? No. Um. I. I so I, I saw. I uh, spoke to Cole probably the least out of anybody that was there. Um. Like in terms of running the live stream. Um. He was. He was kind of the man of the party there. A lot of people wanted to talk to him, and I was kind of like, all right, you can have your mom. You're not. You're not from here, so. Yeah, that's um, it, yeah, it, very nice guy. Um, I had not really ever interacted with Jake before either, and he's a nice guy. You know, him and I spent probably like 15 20 minutes talking, so yep. uh, yeah, Spencer, yeah, yeah, Spencer's so great. Spencer, Spencer, Jake, super welcoming, nice guys. Uh, Mr. Yuri, the youngest person I've ever met in my life, I think he may have been oh 13. God. Totally threw me for a loop. I thought he was like 25, 26, and then he's not 25 or 26, so super nice guy. Every single person at the party was nice. Darren, Darren was great. Darren, yeah, Darren McCann, very nice. Darren, Darren apparently sniped me from across the bar, and I didn't recognize, I didn't see him waving to me. But well, and in a in a twist of fate, Darren was there. He was sitting in Ian elephant trunk sleeve Schultz's seats. So oh, we haven't uh, even mentioned my Twitter account being gone. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Band double underscore Drew and uh, welcome. Drew you know, Band. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Drew Band. Welcome to the world, uh, Drew Brand. Drew Band. NFL NFL does not fuck around with copyrights, for the record. Um, clearly having him mass report my account has brought it to the attention of powers to be at Fox or NFL or whoever had the highlights that I was posting. So Yeah. Um, well it, it is funny wise, that it's funny that uh, Ian sold those tickets to to Darren and he he was happy to come over and tell us how much he enjoys this podcast and took pictures with us. And, you know, we all were a, a happy family. So I don't Definitely think it would have been the case. If it, yeah. Oh, for sure. You know what? I didn't even think about that. We should invite him on. Um, yeah. yeah not going to invite Ian on. So. Actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to extend an open invite to Ian at any point to come on this podcast, but it's not going to be yeah, friendly. No, yeah, and he won't come on. He's so. a fucking pussy. That's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's so, multiple people that, that we would have on that won't come on, but that's uh that's the yeah. call. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so basically recap of that event, really good time. Uh, Jake, if you ever make it to the state of Maryland, then, uh, you know, we should do some sort of gathering. Absolutely. You, y'all yeah. will be the first people I contact if I go out there. Yeah. When I but go out there. Every, every single person that I met at that event was, was super nice. Uh, even people, you know, who, you know, who, who we've had our dust ups with, doesn't matter. Everybody was nice. Everybody was cool. So, um, you know, I think that's a, a at, at least a it, it it puts Ravens Twitter in a different light because a lot of times I think we're a little dysfunctional. But everybody that I that I talked to at that entire event was was really cool. And and the the owner, you know what? I gotta find her exact Twitter handle. Um, hold on. 
I would also say that some of the people that we've had and she's great. Um, I tried to purchase beer off her at like six o'clock in the morning on Sunday before I left and she was not anywhere near the uh, brewery, but um, then they also don't have cans apparently, Uh, but that's her. Her Twitter is at the Conway underscore Kate. So people follow her. She's really cool. Um, And Drew and I are going to be in a video that she's going to be putting out this week. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yep. fuck, can you pick it? But um, yeah, unfortunate name for their brewery, but that's also their last name. So you know, yeah, they're the only pickets. They're the only pickets I recognize. Recap is good times. Drew and I had a good time. Um, you know, every single person there was in good spirits. It was it was a uh the vibes were were positive in Ravens Twitter. So that's good to see because you know sometimes if you're in Ravens Twitter, if you're on Twitter, you would think that we all hate each other, but if you were at that event that you would have gotten a, a totally different vibe. So that was I good. I was expecting to get swung on and it didn't happen. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and I appreciate, uh, Spencer, Jake, Cole, Kevin, and Bobby for, for having that event. That was fun. I mean, I walked in before you, um, cause I didn't read your text message about coordinating entrances. So, you know, I didn't <laughs> look at my yeah. phone, but, um, yeah, I walked in and first thing I walked in, Spencer walked right up to me. So, you know, again, they were they were very happy to have anybody there, but it was. Yep. Um, and there is a picture uh, of all of us doing a, a gentrified upscale uh, picture of pinkies up. Yeah, yeah, so. it was it was a good time, and I definitely um, I hope that place has more events. They're they're built for it. That was a kind of a perfect setup for that sort of. Uh, yeah, for sure, too. and it is legitimately like you you look down the street, the stadium's right there. It's two blocks away. Yeah. So yeah, um, great spot, Kate Conway. Uh, good, you know, shout you out and. Uh, I, I walked out of my tab, but she she didn't get mad at me for that. She she just she ran my card on Monday morning. Veteran like me left, you know, fifteen minutes fifteen minutes before uh, you know anybody else did, and uh, you know closed my tab out ahead of time because. Well, uh, some some of us are some of us are used to that. Yeah, well, I I, I DM'd her and she <laughs> she said no no big deal. I got you this morning, so we're we're all settled up. Don't worry, I did, I did not. I, I didn't leave it and not, and like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, but I got a parking ticket. So add 52 dollars. I got a $52 parking ticket. How the fuck do they settle on that? Where were you? Were you parked like a handicap zone or something? Parked right outside the fucking brewery. There was the entire row. The, the entire street was filled with cars. So I, I don't know what I did wrong. I walked because I'm saving the environment, you know, go green. Um, any other hippie. Global warming is bad, you know, whatever. Grant uh, is still walking. He's still trying to find it. Yeah. (laughs) Just like birds, Grant is not real. They are a figment of your imagination, as is Grant. Just a a hologram who happened to put up a hologram of a fake Christmas tree just to set Will off into a frenzy on that one particular episode. But anyway, that's going to do it for this week's installment. We will be back to discuss what happens this week and preview the game against the new rapist in the AFC North. But meanwhile, I'm going to make a noise. Oh! All right, you got it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Zone 32. 32.